everybody, just want to give you a small heads up. Greg and Chico talk about recent episodes of She-Hulk for the first about seven and a half minutes. So if you skip to the seven and a half minute mark, that's right about the time when the show proper starts. Just want to give you a fair warning. Enjoy! You know, Chico, I think we've forgotten about something lately. Yeah. Oh, hold on. I'm getting a push notification. Oh, it's Disney+. Plus. Holy crap, we forgot to go over episodes of She-Hulk with Mike. Okay, so as of the We're going to have to do this really, really quickly, dude. Okay, as of the time we're recording this, Chico has not seen the last episode, so... No, by the time this episode drops, I will have seen it, but All we'll right, get so, to that. So we'll recap 6, 7, and 8 for Mike, okay. So episode 6 starts with a wedding. A wedding. Yes, it starts with a wedding that Titania crashes to, well, get Jen to, you know, hulk out. She basically it, fails at it. Very much so, and it drives her absolutely up a tree. And, by the way, Jen drunk dials her cousin, Bruce. Because she does not know. Because... I don't think we talked about this in episode, like, what, four or five or whatever? It was four. I think right, it was four. four. Bruce went off to go back to the planet he was on in Ragnarok. Because he had to take care of some business. Yep. And we also have the appearance of the Intelligentsia. Which apparently is open in the MCU, but Samuel Stearns, a member of the Intelligentsia, was not the leader yet. And of course, the leader has a bit of history with both Hulk and She-Hulk. You will see him again, though, in the upcoming Captain America New World Order, with uh, Anthony Mackie as Cap. Because remember... Sam Wilson is Captain America, bitches. Yeah, he's now the new America's ass. He is America's ass, and maybe America's guns. Who knows? Oh, yeah, Anthony Mackie's got those guns. All right, and then in episode seven, we have the return of the Abomination, a.k.a. Tim Roth, a.k.a. Emil Blonsky. So, this is basically... Hey, look, we're going to therapy. We're going to heal together. Yeah, because now, Blonsky, he has, like, this healing camp where everyone, like, discusses their problems and such. Oh, wait, hold on. We didn't mention what happened in the previous episode. Well, you better make it quick. Because Jen met a guy. Uh Uh-huh. And now the guy's not talking to Jen. Because there's a reason why. Chico, do you remember why? Do I remember why he's not talking to Jen? Yes. All I remember is that he ghosted her in this episode. Yes. Because he took the contents of Jen's phone while she was sleeping, by the way, to the intelligentsia so they could hack into it. He just wanted info from her phone. To get the intelligentsia. Yes. Well, that's a bit of a jerk move. Yeah. 
this was Josh, right? This was Josh, yes. F Josh, he a bad man. He a bad man. He a very, very bad man. Okay, but episode eight, this is where we're gonna get to the good stuff. Yeah. And frankly, this is where it all comes to a head. Because the intelligentsia orchestrates a cyber attack and discloses personal and professional details that could cost Jen everything. Yes, but before that part, Jen gets a client called the Leapfrog. And here's the thing. Remember that fashion guy from the episode five? Yes. He designed his suit. Oh, that's was, just lovely. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Leapfrog, the suit was not, like, flame-resistant. So, oh, his his legs got burned. So he's suing the fashion guy. But that puts Jen in a dilemma, because he was going to design her outfit for the uh, big gala thing. So, oh, now she doesn't have a suit for the gala thing. Oh, that stinks. But hold on a second. Who's representing the fashion guy? Uh-oh. 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 Matt Murdock. Hello. Yeah, Daredevil is representing the fashion guy. So eventually, at the end of the episode, like, Jennifer and Daredevil, they team up. They beat the bad guys and everything. And then, Mike, you're not going to believe this. At the end of the episode, okay, you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you ready? Can you handle this? I'm 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 seated. Yes. Okay. At the end of the episode, they bang. <laughs> and then <laughs> Daredevil does the walk of shame at her apartment. Oh God! You know, it's at this moment where you almost wish that Jen killed somebody. At least then it would probably, you know, serve as a catharsis for the finale, which we'll go over in due course. But Yeah, but you know what? In the meantime, we're going to talk about a she-wolf. Yeah, we go- we're going from a she-hulk to a she-wolf. Wait, hold on. There's one question that needs to be answered. Yeah. What's that? Whatever happened to Madison with two N's and a Y, but not where you think it is? Oh, yeah, she's with Wong now. Yeah. Okay. And now you're caught caught up. Yeah. So now you don't have to worry. Everything's fine. So next week we'll talk about the final episode. But now, hey. Let's go from She-Hulk to She-Wolf. Yeah. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind, I give you Super Train. Episode 316, submission 651 She Wolf of London slash Love and Curses. She Wolf of London slash Love and Curses aired in first run syndication from October 9th. 1990 to April 10th of 1991 for a total of 20 episodes. 
So, a mystical magic girl and her handler slash confidant slash paramour. That's not a news story. I mean, Josh Whedon made a killing of it with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But before Josh Whedon could make a killing with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we get this. A show about an American in London who uh, gets a bite taken out of her. I can't believe I said that. Well, the story goes that graduate student Randy Wallace travels to Britain to study mythology with Ian Matheson, who is a well-known, well-respected expert in the field. And while Randy was expecting this old, dodgy sort of come-up character, we get somebody who is neither old nor dodgy. We get this very svelte, very intellectual, very sexy doctor. And the two of them enter into a bit of a relationship. But we enter into a bit of a complication. One night, while she is out investigating, or at least playing in the moors, she is bitten by a werewolf. Now, everybody thinks it was just a rabid wolf bite, and that she's going to recover, and she'll be absolutely fine. Unfortunately, because this is Randy, she insists that it was not a true wolf, but something... Superhuman, supernatural, something not of this world. Okay, I'm, I'm about. Let me dial it back a bit. It is of this world, but it's incredibly weird. So she seeks Ian's help. Turns out, she was right to be a little bit paranoid because she was bitten by a werewolf. And for the rest of the show, they're investigating supernatural phenomena together. While they search for a cure for her lycanthropy, they keep their relationship secret, and they um, have to resort to the whole handler-animal situation once every full moon. And of course, it would be rather boring if Randy didn't meet other werewolves, spirits, a succubus, a vampire, a boogeyman, a carnival... Guy Fox, a bookstore, a killer horseman, and zombies. 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 So yeah, it was your standard horror slash science fiction slash superhero slash speculative fiction. And the thing of it is, this thing had a really big budget, at least to start. Tom McLaughlin and Mick Garris were given a carte blanche to tell whatever stories they wanted to. And they got uh, some really good names to tell those stories. Playing the role of Randy Wallace is Kate Hodge, who would go on to become a writer for television, but is known mostly as, you know, as a character actress. She has been a that woman from that thing. Uh, if you ever remember Level 9, where she's taking on uh, cyber attackers in 2000 and 2008, she was in 13 episodes of that. 
She was also in the What Would Happen If Dilbert Was a Live Action series working as Chris Grant. Go figure there. Playing her paramour slash handler, Ian Matheson, is Neil Dixon, who you would recognize as a that voice from that thing. He's been hard at work on both sides of the Atlantic. And Greg, are you ready for this? He played a radio announcer in the Time and Again episode of Miss Marvel. That's right. He was the radio announcer guy on Miss Marvel in that episode. Yep. But hold on a second, guys. His most recent credit was in the Tubi original from the Asylum, Titanic 666, which is is the sequel to Titanic 2. Oh, dear. Oh, dear God. Oh, no. Is this something that we're going to watch in April? Well, we're watching Titanic 2 first, then we'll watch Titanic 666. Oh, oh so, so this is coming in 2024, then? Probably. Probably. Oh, jeez. You know, I haven't seen the first 664 installments. <laughs> I don't want to know what Titanic 666 is going is to spoil for me. Well, spoiler, Jack is still going to die. Oh, darn. They both could have bit on the door. Yeah, that was such BS. They could have easily both been on the door. Rounding out the rest of the cast, as Dad Matheson is Arthur Cox, this was be Ian's father, who is known as a detective in Sweeney 2, Dr. Hawker in Agatha Christie's Poirot, and as Mr. Henderson on the 11th Hour episode of Doctor Who. Well, that would be uh, Matt Smith's Matt, first that was episode. Matt Smith's premiere, yes. Matt, second episode, we've mentioned Matt Smith. Yep. Playing Mother Matheson is Jean Chalice, who is best known as Miss Arnett in the original British version of Dear John. And playing Julian Matheson, who is connected to Ian somehow, is Scott Foltz, who actually is unlike everybody else on this show, an American. In fact, one of his most notable roles was as Craterface Coburn on an episode of Saved by the Bell. And do you know what that means? This is just a reminder that... Zag Morris is trash! And then, as Aunt Elsa, we have Dorothea Phillips, who played Mrs. Mirthless in 2000's 102 Dalmatians, and also was on a TV show called Goodnight Sweetheart, which I watched a couple of episodes, and it was pretty interesting. It's like The Notebook, only it takes place in war-torn London. It's like an MI5 agent in London, just a regular guy in the 21st century. Pretty cool. It lasted five seasons. And playing the role of the She-Wolf, that would be sort of the Lou Ferrigno to Kate Hodges' Bill Bixby, Diane Udale. Name doesn't sound familiar, does it? No, but... But, however, she did have a couple of very notable roles. She was Jet 
on the original UK version of American Gladiators. And also, she was a co-host on the final season of the British version of Finders Keepers. So like we said, big talent for the for at least the first two-thirds of the season. But then something happened. They were running out of money. Yeah. And the fact that uh, the British backers, HTV, decided to pull out midway did not help matters. And as a result, uh, for the last six episodes of the season, they moved production to Los Angeles and changed up the premise. But we'll talk more about that as we get into the episodes. Okay, so we have episode one, She-Wolf of London. Randy Wallace, an American graduate student, travels to England to study under Dr. Ian Matheson, a noted British professor specializing in mythology. Matheson urges Wallace to do her own, so Randy heads to the countryside, where she is brutally attacked on the moors under a full moon by a large animal. Randy recovers from her wounds, only to discover that she turns into a werewolf during the next full moon, destroying her office and nearly killing Ian to boot. Returning to the moors, Randy and Ian meet a band of word I can't say in 2022, but let's just say it rhymes with, uh, Mipsies, I guess. Nipsies? What does Nipsey Russell have to do with this? You know what I mean, Mike. No, I know exactly what you mean, yes. Yes. Episode 2, The Bogmen of Lechmore Heath. Ian's aunt uncovers a well-preserved corpse from a bog on her property and asks the professor to ride to her village and determine its antiquity. Before he arrives, his aunt is brutally murdered and soon other villager is found slain, each in the manner of their profession. Randy is convinced that a blind old man with a drinking problem may have valuable information on the case that the authorities are ignoring. We do have a name in this episode, kind of, sort of. Playing Mr. Oates is Roger Winslet. The last name, Winslet. Kate's dad. Oh my god! We just mentioned Titanic! And we mentioned Rose's dad! But she wasn't in Titanic 666. No, not unlike Neil Dixon. But you can watch on Tubi. So that answers the question, Tubi or not to be. Or That's Tubi right. or not to be, yeah. It's a Tubi original, Mike. Oh, it's a Tubi original, okay. Yeah. So it'll answer all the unanswered questions from Titanic 2. And presumably Titanic's 3 through 665. <laughs> well, good. I didn't have a chance to see Titanic 284 yet. Oh my gosh. Episode 3 Moonlight Becomes You. Randy and Ian learn of another scientist conducting research into werewolves from a woman who claims her brother sought treatment after being bitten by a werewolf. 
Randy is committed to the mental asylum where the research is conducted and finds the doctor is experimenting on his hapless patients to develop a serum to create more werewolves. Uh oh. Uh oh. That's what happens. You create a serum and you're just like, I'm going to create more werewolves. I'm just going to. More werewolves all over the place. You become a werewolf, and you become a werewolf, and you become a werewolf. Everybody becomes a werewolf. Do you have anyone notable in that episode? I'm sorry. I'm stuck on you doing Oprah there. You're about 15 years off, but you get a werewolf. You become a werewolf. You become. I'm sorry. Uh, there's. <laughs> There's nobody of, of uh, note in this episode. I, I think we're not going to find many people of note in this show just because there's a lot of British actors. Yeah, so. We may be sort of thin on guest stars here. Well, this or is at least guests of note. Yeah, this is first-run syndication after all. You take what you can get. Episode four, The Juggler. Julian takes an interest in the new girl in class, Liza, whose father recently prevented a coven from practicing pagan services in his church. Liza begins to see ghosts in the church, and she turns to Randy and Ian for help. Ian believes that the coven may have raised the juggler, an evil clown who preys on the children of their enemies and warns Julian to stay close to Liza during the Guy Fawkes Day celebration. Oh boy, an evil clown. Sadly, this was not played by Doink the Clown. I wish it was played by Doink the Clown. I, I, I don't want to pull out one of Chico's chestnuts, but does this sound like anything? What does it sound like? An evil clown? Yeah. It? Pennywise? Oh, yeah, it. Yeah, because the, um, the TV movie would have been like two years. Oh, no, the TV movie would have been this year. Yeah, the book would have been like a few years earlier, right? It was like yeah. 87, I think, it was a bestseller. Yeah, and then you had the big ABC adaptation, I think, this year in 90 with uh, John Ritter and everybody, and Tim Curry. Episode 5, Nice Girls Don't. An elderly man who claims to only be 27 years old. An elderly man claims to be only 27 years old. Was he on the island from old? <laughs> Answers Ian and Randy's newspaper advertisement and begs them for their help. While their client recovers from a heart attack, Randy investigates and suspects that a succubus is on the loose in London, sucking the youth out of her victims. Randy captures the being, but not before the succubus has attacked Ian, prematurely aging him by 50 years. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, those succubuses, they're hungry for some sex. Episode 6, Little Bookshop of Horrors. Randy and Ian investigate when they learn that two prominent publishers were murdered by normal people dressed as characters in the classic novels recently delivered by an antiquarian bookshop. The bookstore owner acknowledges that he casts a spell on the books to punish the men and women he considers responsible for driving him nearly to bankruptcy and confides to Ian that he has sent a truckload of the cursed books to members of Parliament since they passed the laws enabling chain stores 
to gobble up independent bookshops. Oh, so this explains the problems that Britain is facing right now. Hey, by the time you listen to this episode, there might be three new prime ministers since we recorded this. Who knows? At the rate they're going, you're right. But get it, little bookshop of horrors? What is that a reference to? I, I, I have no idea. None whatsoever. Episode 7, Can't Keep a Dead Man Down, Part 1. Ian is ecstatic when a Hollywood movie company asks to convert his latest book into a movie until he discovers their representative is Randy's former fiance, who appears to be more interested in rekindling his relationship with the lovely co-ed than negotiating a production deal with the professor. Meanwhile, Ian and Randy investigate reports of zombies rising from the grave and seeking human flesh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hey, Greg, would you believe we actually have a name in this episode? Okay, who's the name? All right. In this episode, playing Charles Bodine is Rolf Saxon. Okay. He's not a name in that sense where you'd know him immediately, but he's probably best known for playing the narrator on Teletubbies. Oh, that's great. Teletubbies. Again, first reference to Teletubbies in 316 episodes. Kind of a landmark moment. It is a landmark moment. And you know what? Those Teletubbies, they were adorable. You never thought we'd be talking about Teletubbies on this show. Well, here you go. Yeah. Episode 8, Can't Keep a Dead Man Down, Port 2. Randy returns to England to battle Samantha Stevens, who intends to collect the three lightning bolts of Gilgamesh so she can rule the dead. When Ian and the other zombies try to steal the last bolt from the British Museum, Randy initially manages to thwart their attack, but is captured and bound to an altar to serve as a human sacrifice so Samantha can complete her deadly ritual. Well, obviously she doesn't complete it, because that would be the end of the series, so... Oh, darn. Oh, darn. Episode 9. The Wild Hunt. On a weekend getaway, Ian's car breaks down in a blighted town without connection to the outside world by vehicle or a phone. Randy witnesses a sword-wielding horseman behead a young man who has asked for her help and learns that the town is cursed by the huntsman, a warlock who rides through the town slaying whomever he has marked for death. When a mysterious rune made with blood appears on Randy's hotel room door, The townspeople are reluctant to help them leave town for fear of the huntsman's reprisal. Oh man, don't you just hate it, Mike, when your car breaks down a town where there's no phone or anything? And there's werewolves? Oh yeah, Yeah. happens to me all the time. Happens to everybody. You get your car break down and you're like, crap. I'm going to probably be attacked by werewolves. And Huntsmen and zombies. Oh, darn. Hey, we do have one kind of sort of name in this episode playing Mary is Kathy Murphy. She played Julie Perkins on EastEnders. Oh, yes. EastEnders. Long-running BBC show. 
long running primarily was on in 2010, 2011, but even uh, had roles in 2005 and even as far back as 1991. Episode 10. What's got into them? Ian's attempts to convince Dr. Mason, his mentor and famous Oxford mythology professor, to recommend him for a job at the famed university are sidetracked when ghosts inhabit the bodies of Ian's parents, one desperate to pass over to the other side on the 100th anniversary of her death, and the other who will do anything to prevent it, including killing Dr. Mason. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Episode 11, Big Top She-Wolf. Randy feels strangely attracted to Caleb Wakefield, the ringmaster of a rundown circus. The attraction deepens when she discovers that she does not metamorphosize into a werewolf when she spends the night of a full moon with him. Randy learns that Caleb has a steep price for this gift. All she has to do is to be permanently rid herself of the curse is to sell her soul to the devil. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Where's the whammy, Mike? Are you really bringing me out because you heard somebody say they're selling their soul to the devil? Yes. I'm not related to the devil. But your dad's the devil. We already talked about this. My dad is not the devil. But we did mention that your dad was the devil. The noodles, tell him. I am not related to the devil. Look, Whammy, I, you have some family issues. I know that your dad, we've established, left you years ago. What? The, his dad left him? He yes, got we, dad issues? You don't remember the continuity? The dad left him. The dad was the devil and left him behind for smokes. He really pressed his luck. (laughs) Oh, the Mike doesn't even remember the continuity of his own character. Boy, he really stopped on a whammy, didn't he? He sure did. For smokes. I'm going out. I'll be back in an hour to get some, after I get some smokes. No, I won't. You lose. <laughs> that went off the rails. You're the one who invoked the whammy. I did. That's right. You tell him, Benoodles. Yeah. Even the cat doesn't agree with you for some reason. Oh, well. Oh, and hey, we should mention this because uh, this happens on Tuesday and this episode's coming out on Thursday. But Noodles is going to turn 13 on Tuesday. Oh, that's right. She's going to be a teenager. Oh, well. That's fantastic. She's already asking for keys to the car. She's going to be the next Toons as the driving cat. No, you're not going to drive. Don't even ask. No. And don't drive off any cliffs, Benoodles. Don't do that. (laughs) Episode 12, She-Devil. 
Wait, is this about wait wait is this about the Roseanne movie? I knew you were gonna mention that Roseanne movie. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on, do you know who was in She Devil the movie with Roseanne? No. Ed Bagley Jr. Oh no! It wasn't hold on, wasn't Meryl Streep in that too? I've never seen the damn thing. Oh my god. Let me just research. I, I never thought I was gonna Wikipedia search the Roseanne movie She Devil, but I guess I'm gonna do it. Yeah, Meryl Streep wasn't She Devil. Oh, that's one of her, her better known roles. Obviously, that's what everyone remembers Meryl Streep for, is She-Devil. Not anything else. Wait, Meryl Streep, she's actually the lead in this movie. I thought Roseanne Barr was the lead. Oh my gosh. Well, it obviously must have been like a marketing change to capitalize on the popularity of the show. Oh my, I, I cannot believe... I brought up She Devil, the, the Roseanne Barr movie. Oh my. Yeah, you should be like ashamed. Nobody wants to remember that. I don't even know why I remembered it. But I did, too bad. So, anyhow, getting back to this TV show episode, uh, She Devil. A lonely bachelor is killed after answering a personal ad in the newspaper. Ian and Randy trace the ad to a college love of Ian's who has developed a special pheromone potion which brings out the sexual animal in people. Hold on a second. I got a question. I don't want to have an answer, I don't think. Do you think, Mike, that the potion is eugenics? That's about 30 years after this aired. And Frank Thomas would have just been drafted in 1989. So he had no need for Nugenics in 1990. He was a virile young man. But sooner or later, now he would be interested. Oh my gosh. Great. Now we've got a She-Devil reference. And now we've got a eugenics reference. All right. We're going to take a little break right now after the lunacy between the whammy and She-Devil the movie. But just going to give you a little heads up. The wackiest thing, maybe in the history of the podcast, definitely one of the two or three wackiest things, is going to happen in about 15 to 20 minutes after we play some commercials right here. Stay tuned. We'll be back momentarily. After these messages, we'll be right back. Notice the primary cup. Devastating, isn't it? has a brilliant negative capability. Over here, you'll notice, hanging upon the weapon the perfect blending of life. Of the artist. Stunning, isn't it? Yeah. Starburst with real fruit juice. Mmm. 
I'm so glad tricks are for kids. Tricks? They're so sweet and fruity, just what we love. Lemon yellow. Orangey orange. Grapefruity purple. Raspberry red. The fruity part of this complete breakfast. We're so lucky tricks are made just for us. Uh, excuse me? Yes? May I please have some tricks? Please. Uh-uh. You're a rabbit. Rabbit food is for rabbits. And tricks are for kids. I hope you realize that playing with guns is an obvious cover-up for your male inadequacies. Yeah? Well, why would anyone play with dogs? Why would anyone play with you? 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 Why would anyone play with any of you? Beats us, but Burger King's got them. The Simpsons for $3.49 each when you buy new mini muffins or any size fries. To give you the Simpsons for virtually peanuts, sometimes you gotta break the rules. Back to the show. Episode 13, Voodoo Child. Ian is accosted by a know-it-all student in his mythology class who claims that he knows all about the voodoo use of an obscure Indian cult. So, episode 14, now this is the final title under She-Wolf of London before the format change. And this is called Beyond the Beyond from February 9th of 1991. Conrad Stipe, the creator of Beyond the Beyond, is unexpectedly killed after announcing production of a motion picture featuring an all-new cast. Randy and Aunt Elsa hunt down the killer among the original cast, while a reluctant Ian is hired to write the screenplay for the big screen adventure. What is Ian going to do, Mike? He's a professor at a class. What does he know about writing screenplays? Might be an English professor. Well, maybe, but his job is just to write, talk about like werewolves and the occults and all that strange stuff. Like, he doesn't probably know anything about writing a big scene in a movie production? You never know. Okay, so episode 15. Now, this aired a month later on March 6th of 1981. So now she Wolf of London, because as Chico mentioned, the original funders of the show pulled out and everything, so we gotta finish the rest of the season on the super cheap. So it underwent a new title. And that title was Love and Curses.
So you might be wondering, what is the change of this show? Well, Randy and Ian move to Randy's native California, where Ian becomes the host of a trashy TV talk show focusing on psychic phenomenon. So now the series changes direction. It's now like a romantic comedy with horror in it. And most of the romantic comedy in the series comes from the relationship between Randy and Ian. So also with the format change, Randy's transformations do not occur every episode, but only during the full moon. Probably to save on money. So this gave her and Ian a chance to look at the supernatural without having to focus on the transformations every week. Again, probably to save money. And so, he was the first episode under Love and Curses in episode 15. Curiosity killed the Kravitz. The university is phasing out the Department of Mythology, so Ian is out of a job. At the same time, an American friend of Randy's is killed in Los Angeles by neighbors whom she claimed are space aliens. Space aliens, okay. Yeah. So, okay, we're not worrying about the werewolves anymore. We're just worrying about space aliens. Maybe we're getting names now because instead of filming in London, now we're on this side of the Atlantic. Who knows? Playing Skip Seville in this episode is Dan Gilvezan. Again, maybe not a name uh, you've heard of, but if you saw his resume, very popular voice actor, he was the voice of Spider-Man in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Oh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And hey, next year, when we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, we are going to talk about Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And that wasn't his only voice. No. Oh, by, by no means. Uh, he voiced Slipstream on G.I. Joe. And Bumblebee on the Transformers. Oh, he was the voice of Bumblebee on the original Transformers. But he's done a lot of voices, primarily in the 80s and 90s, but uh, did many, many voices. Oh, by the way, I was watching TV today, and you know what was on FX? What's that? The Bumblebee movie from 2018. (laughs) Speaking enough. But you know what's so weird, Mike? What's that? At certain points of the movie, there was supposed to be somebody. But you couldn't see that person. That happens a lot on these types of movies. I've noticed that. I know. Especially in like Fast and the Furious 9. When I watched that movie in the theater, there was like a blank spot like for most of the movie. I was like, was there something wrong with the projection? I don't know. No, I, I wonder if there is some sort of CGI issue there. Maybe they forgot to fill in that blank space. This has happened a lot lately. I don't know what's going on. Oh, and I should add one more credit for Dan Gilvezan because I just love anytime we refer to this TV show. He was on an episode of New Love American Style. Oh, the New Love American Style. Not the old Love American Style because f- that. It's the new American style. That's where it's at. 
<laughs> the new Love American style that ABC just put in there because nothing worked on ABC daytime from about 1984 to about 1988. No, nothing worked. Just about nothing. No. No. So they were like, oh, the new Love American style. Everyone's going to eat this crap up. Everyone's Everybody gonna- loved the original Love American style. Let's bring it back. With blackjack and hookers. Episode 16, Habeas Corpses. Oh, no. After a taping of How Strange, by the way, that's the show that Ian hosts, in which a blonde woman reports she is the last surviving person of a vast undersea kingdom. Ian takes Randy to their new apartment. As they are touring it, a man runs into their new home and promptly dies after reporting that he has been bitten by a vampire. Ian and Randy pursue the story and end up staking the dead man's wife, who was really a vampire. The trail of bloodsuckers leads to an evil law firm where the attorneys are all undead. Oh my gosh. This is a lot of information, Mike. This is a lot to, to absorb, yeah. Do you want me to give you even more to absorb? Because we got a name in this episode. All right, who we got? Playing Alan Decker in this episode, Barry Van Dyke. I'm guessing he's related to uh, Dick and Jerry. A son of Dick. So obviously that means nephew of Jerry. But he was on Airwolf. And he was Steve Sloan for like eight seasons of Diagnosis Murder. Oh, that's right. Because that was a Dick Van Dyke joint. Right. So that makes sense. But you know what, Mike? You mentioned Airwolf. So you know what we got to play? Oh, no. I masturbate a lot. Thanks for sharing, Ernest. Another name in this episode playing Nancy Chambers is Marta Dubois. We're going to talk about her eventually because she played Princess Koji on Tales of the Gold Monkey. Tales of the Gold Monkey. Hold on a second. Is that that show from ABC in like the early 80s that had Stephen Collins on it? Yes. Okay, I just want to be sure. Yeah. That was like capitalizing on like Raiders of the Lost Ark, if I remember correctly. No, absolutely. Absolutely, it was capitalizing on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Plus also, she was on three separate episodes of Silk Stockings. Oh, Silk Stockings. We love, we silk love our silk stockings references. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. After you're done with Monday Night Raw, you're going to be getting Monday Night Raw, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I think I originally said that, but that's fine. I could, oh yeah, I don't, I don't care if it's your original joke. <laughs> it's still good. I just can't believe you said that. <laughs> After Monday Night Raw, you're going to get Monday Night Raw. Oh, my gosh. In more than one way, if you know what I mean. Okay, moving on. Episode 17, Bride of the Wolfman. Randy and Ian visit the Granada Theater an hour before it is to be torn down. Once inside, the doors to the auditorium close, and a film, Bride of the Wolfman, unspools on the screen. In a flash of light, Randy and Ian find themselves inside the old film and in an old-fashioned black-and-white movie to boot. 
Somehow they have entered the film Bride of the Werewolf and find themselves at the dangerous home of the villainous Dr. Pretorius. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. So they've somehow ended up kind of like in a last action hero situation where they end up in the actual movie. Well, I mean, we've had that happen on previous shows, haven't we? Have we? Where they, uh, the, the, the characters got into TV shows or movies through a TV? Yeah. Wasn't that is... kind of sort of the basis of what's Alan watching? Yeah, kind of. But this is like a whole new thing. They're inside an actual movie. Movie, TV show, big difference. Oh, yeah, I guess. Got anybody notable in this? Not in this episode, All but right. oh, the next one, I got at least okay. three names. All right, hold on. Episode 18, Heart Attack. Because as Billy Joel famously said, working too hard can give you a heart attack. attack, 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 attack. You want to know by now. A better Cupid. I knew you were going to make that reference. And you still nailed it. A bitter Cupid gone bad uses her considerable powers to destroy the lives of those she should be helping to find love. Ian and Randy get involved reluctantly as the bad Cupid, a female named Rowana, tangles with a good Cupid, a guy named Al. And before long, the War of the Cupids ends up on the stage of Hal Strange, and love and hate are flying back and forth through the studio like laser bolts. All right, I said three names. I think legitimately we have possibly up to a half dozen names. A half dozen names. There are a lot of people on this episode. And I'm going to start with playing Melinda in this episode is Leah Lale. Best known for playing Kay Simmons on VIP. Oh, VIP. The Pam Anderson thing after Baywatch. Oh, yeah, VIP. Greg, take it from me because uh, uh, I'm a little older than you. That's where you really got raw. Not on Monday nights, but usually it's like late night Sunday. Just saying. Not from experience. Anywho, moving on. Playing Rowena, uh, who you mentioned earlier, Rowena Cupid, is Kim Morgan Green. And we've talked about her. Well, first off, she was on five episodes of Silk Stockings. Oh, my gosh. It always goes back to Silk Stockings. But also, she played uh, Channing Carter on the Colbys. And just because we have to do it every time somebody from this show pops up, she was on a week of Masking Hollywood Squares Hour. Oh, that's great. What week? I, I, I think it was the NBC Soap Week. With John Delancey, so uh, in case you don't know, uh, Chico went to college with his son. That's right. He only mentions this every time you break up Chico. Yeah, so, and since he's not here right now, I-, I need to fill the gap. Yeah. Hold on, Chico's entering back into the room. Hold on a second. Oh. Hey, Chico. Hi. Hey, take a guess what we just mentioned literally 30 seconds ago. It relates to you. What do you mention all the time in this podcast? Uh, uh, me going to school as John Delancey's kid. 
<laughs> okay, you're gonna have to. You're, okay, you're gonna have to. Bat, I'm, I'm guessing this is one of the six episodes that was shot in Los Angeles. Yes. Okay, so uh, one of the people on uh, that guested uh, on the episode we're talking about heart attack is Kim Morgan Green. And she was on Another World at this point, I believe. Definitely one of the NBC soaps. I think it was Another World. And she did a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. And I said, Greg, I'm going to play the role of Chico. Because on the same week, this is the NBC Soaps Week, was John Delancey. And we know that Chico went to UNC with John Delancey's son. And then you come in here and you're like, not only, not only, not only did I go to UNC with John Delancey's son, we were in the same acapella group. But the thing is, just by sheer coincidence, you come into the chat like thirty seconds after I mention it, and I say, "We just made a mention about you." And what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth that you went to the UNC with John Delancey's son? Special shout-out right. to, Del- to Keegan Delancey. I have not done that on this podcast. I'm doing and, it right and, now. And also, just for everybody listening, this is not scripted in any way. This is all live, unedited. I, I cannot believe this just happened. This may go down as one of the two or three funniest things that's ever happened on this show. Hey, Jim, what do you have to say about that whole thing? Oh, it's live, house. <laughs> Oh my! Okay, yeah, so- and, hey, that was absolutely not scripted. I just got off of uh, again. Special shout out to our friend Brian Henniger. I was doing his Twitch Millionaire show, and now I'm stepping back in. That's good. I'm stepping back in here. Okay. Well, Chico, <laughs> hold on. You missed a, a weird situation with the whammy, where apparently I guess he doesn't remember his death was the devil, and then he left. It. Cigarettes. I'm gonna leave now. No. <laughs> well, you know, we have to fill for this stupid show somehow. We need to put something in to fill the time. Oh uh, yeah. So we yeah, we uh, uh, we went off track with the whammy, and this whole John Delancey thing is absolutely insane. Right. Oh my gosh. Do we have and, any- oh, but wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we still have uh, three more names we need to talk about. We're all stuck on John Delancey and and Chico going to UNC with his son, but there's actually three other names we need to talk about here. Uh, We'll start with with, uh, Johnny in this episode, uh, played by uh, a person credited as Tom Bridget, Thomas Bridget. Uh, You know him better as Thomas Jane. Oh, yes. Are we talking about the Punisher? Yes, we're talking about the Punisher from the 2000s Punisher. But also, hold on. He did play in uh, the movie uh, 61. He played Mickey Mantle in the uh, Billy Crystal HBO movie. Oh, good movie. Yes. Love that movie. Barry Pepper's Roger Maris. Fantastic in that movie. And we still have two more names, believe it or not. Playing Al Cupid in this episode, who I'm guessing is related in some way to Rowena Cupid. We just talked about him literally on the last episode. Todd Sussman. Todd yep. Sussman. Yeah, uh, he was in an episode of Camp Wilder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was in Camp Wilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you may also remember uh, I went down a small rabbit hole because he was uh, a regular on Scorch, the comedy 
with Scorch the Dragon from uh, Ron Lucas uh, on Match Game 90. Oh my gosh. Everyone I should have used that Scorch. for my money in the bank. Okay. You should have well, used too that. late for that, buddy. You should have used Scorch. Maybe I'll use Scorch. No, who you, you oh, oh, that's right. You haven't claimed your money in the bank yet. Uh, who knows? I got like, let's see. Or you could just pop it on the schedule, whatever. This is our show, remember? I got seven months to decide, so. You, hey, you got none but time, my friend. You have nothing oh. but time. Oh, hey, let me also throw out, and this is an interesting uh, credit for Todd Sussman. He was the PA announcer on MASH. So when they were over, you know, speaking on the PA, he was the guy that would speak on the PA. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the yeah. guy who would say stuff. Yeah. And he was uncredited on that show, but he was the PA announcer on MASH, uh, primarily from uh, 73 to 79. So that would be like, what, season two to season eight, I think? Yep. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. All right. One more name. Playing the matchmaker in this episode is Denise Miller. And I mentioned Denise Miller because, A, she played Billy on Archie Bunker's Place. But also, B, since we have our election coming up very soon, she played Jilly Papalardo on My Candidate Fish. And she was also Tina Minucci on Making It. Yeah, previous entry Making By the way, you have until Wednesday to vote between that, the new monkeys, and good sports. And I'm not pushing my candidate. I'm just going to be honest. Just by sheer coincidence, she happened to be on Fish. Well, go Fish. And also, I, 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 I'm sorry? I said, well, go fish. Go fish. Go fish. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should fish on. Oh, that's a different entry, fish no, on. Oh, no. But also, today, I, I did a little bit of a dive into fish, into the episodes that aired on Decades about a month and a half, two months ago. Oh, man, that's going to be a fun episode if it gets picked. Well, even if it doesn't get picked, it gets a slot on the schedule at some point. Yeah, that's the rule. It's like the Election Day episode is covered on Election Day week, but both of the runners-up will be covered in the year to come sometime. All right, we're done with Heart Attack. Let's move on to episode 19. Mystical Pizza. Three witches have decided to serve their foul brew to unwitting customers at a Shishi LA pizzeria. One of their patrons, Skip Seville, is bet a pizza, which will turn him into a rat. <laughs> How unsanitary. Randy and Ian attempt to reverse the spell and save Skip, but the witches offer Randy a cure for lycanthropy. So this is the origin, I guess, of the pizza rat? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's plausible. Hey, Staten Island Pizza hey. Rats, greatest minor league team nickname ever. Uh, I'm guessing this is one of the witches you talked about. Uh, I don't have a name, but is uh, one presumably which was played by Kim Lankford? I believe so, yes. No, there's no I believe so. Uh, well, uh, she just isn't credited with a name, so I'm guessing she was a witch. She played Ginger Ward for four seasons on Knott's Landing. Yep, that's where I remember her from. Hey guys, last episode before the movie. What's it about? Episode 20, Eclipse. A full eclipse spurs the worst case of P 
PLS, pre-lycanthropy syndrome, and a confused Randy. The state of the moon also causes the she-wolf to transform back and forth, seemingly at random. Hoping to get away from it all, Randy ends up in the Paradise Institute, which is actually a CIA research front. The agents there are searching for their ultimate weapon, and they may have found it in the She-Wolf of London. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Playing the role of Dirk in this episode is Greg Berger, who, again, his face doesn't look familiar, but his voice sounds familiar. Because he is a very, very prominent voice actor. I mean, we are talking about roles as Grimlock in Transformers Devastation, Final Fantasy XIII 2, Garfield, Garfield and Friends, The Garfield Show. He is basically the voice of Odie. Don't drop the ball here, Chico. He had a big name a little bit after this, about three years later. He voiced Cornfed Pig on Duckman. What? He voiced Cornfed on Duckman. He, yeah, voiced, he, he voiced Cornfed on Duckman. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, Greg, you may want to sit down for a bit. Okay. He played two different characters on two different episodes of Wings. Oh my God, that is amazing. Because as we found out just 16 episodes ago. For the first time on this podcast. It was the first time I ever said it, which is hard to believe that I never mentioned it before episode 300, but I love wings. And for those of you who don't think that made Tony Shalhoub's career, I'm going to fight you. Yeah, you can all go to hell because it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Oh, while uh, we're talking about Garfield and Garfield and Friends, related uh, to the Garfield Friends part, he voiced Orson Pig on the U.S. Acres cartoons. Nice. Yeah, it is a future entry, the U.S. Acres cartoons. Agent Thompson of the government think tank is played by Jan Monroe, who you may remember as Captain Oliver in the cinematic masterpiece Catch Me If You Can. Which is quite notable for having three very notable things. Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, and a doctored clip from To Tell the Truth. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't Amy Adams in Catch Me If You Can? Yes. Amy Adams. Okay, four things. That's right. You show some respect on Amy Adams. I'm going to put some respect on Amy Adams' name. Can't wait for Disenchanted. It's going to be awesome. And playing Dr. Alina Horton is Barbara Tarbuck. She was Mother Superior Claudia in American Horror Story Asylum. And that's it. That's the show. I think what happens to it was uh, plainly obvious because it was a syndicated TV show. Uh, Stations could air it whenever they wanted to, if they wanted to. I don't particularly remember this show, do you? 
Well, I don't remember it either, but I think if it was airing here in New York, it would have probably aired on WWOR Channel 9 because WWOR was airing a lot of stuff from MCA Universal and first-run syndication at the time. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember because, uh, truth by consensus Wikipedia, I don't know if you guys have mentioned this, but She-Wolf of London was part of the Hollywood Premiere Network, which was uh, MCA Universal's sort of uh, gateway to having their own network. This was before they bought out NBC, by the way. And She-Wolf of London aired alongside Shades of L.A., which I also don't remember, and They Came From Outer Space, which I totally don't remember. I'm guessing those are going to be on the list soon. Why not? Because, sure, why not? But uh, the only thing I remember from MCA from that time period would have been My Secret Identity. And that didn't air on any local stations in my area, because I would have been living in Arizona at the time. But it would have aired on WGN, because we would be getting just the Chicago feed of WGN. So to sum up, I don't remember Universal's Hollywood Premier Network at all. And by the way, did I mention that this was based on a movie from 1946? Really? Yeah. And do you know who played the lead in that movie? Who played the lead in that movie? I know, but I'm going to let Greg answer. June Lockhart. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'd believe that because it was very much not Lassie or Lost in Space, which is why I would believe that. So that's 76 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she's still alive. And she's still alive. Still with us at the time of the recording. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, the Hollywood Premiere Network, uh, Greg, it would have aired at that time on... WPIX 11. Oh, okay, so it would have been on Channel 11, not WWE. Yeah, and in my area, because again, I was living in the Tucson market at the time, it aired on KMSB 11. That would be the Fox affiliate, but I don't pretty much remember it. I don't think it aired in this area because uh, I did a little bit of research before the show, and I could not find anything on it. And I don't even... The other shows that you mentioned... They came from outer space in Shades of L.A. Never heard of either of those. So I'm guessing, I. I'm guessing this is one that uh, Cleveland decided to pass on. And rightfully so, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, premise of both of those shows, and all I can say is, yeah, they're going to be on the list, but they're going to be really hard to research. Oh, and actually, if you're interested in this, Believe it or not, there actually was a DVD release of the entire series of She-Wolf of London slash Love and Curses. Yep. Universal Studios Home Entertainment in 2010, February 2nd of 2010, released uh, the entire series as a four-disc set. And we're not going to play eBay Prices Right, but I did a little bit of research before the show. You can get one pretty easily for under $20, even I think as low as about $10. 
not really high in demand. So what else is there to add about this? Nothing! Absolutely nothing! Stupid! You're so stupid! Yeah, this show was kind of dumb, but you know what? This show does have a bit of a cult following. I know that. Really? Yeah. Well, obviously it's got to have a little bit of a following if almost 13 years ago it got released on DVD. Yeah, I think like reruns of this aired on the Sci-Fi Channel back in the day. So, this was probably like the early days of Sci-Fi when they were like, uh, we got to put any stuff on the air. Uh, this will do, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. So again, what can we say about uh, Seawolf of London and Love and Curses? Man, it, it's almost like uh, it was gone by the time the sun rose. As soon as the moon disappeared, there went the TV show. And for that reason, just because it had a very short lifespan and really it's not finally remembered uh, by many people, it just became a thing on TV. Yeah. Indeed it did. So what else do we have to say? Oh, that's right. You could go to our website. It was a thing on TV.com where you can listen to the 315 shows that preceded this one. We got all sorts of live shows, mini sets, bonus sets. Oh, I didn't mention this, but we released last week the director's cut of the TV fall campaigns episode from last year. I listened back to it. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. 45 minutes of new material that was not in the original episode. So it's an epic episode, about two and a half hours. I suggest you listen to it. And also, Chico, we survived the first port. Yep. Now we have to find a time for the second one. Yeah. We got to finish this era. So. The era of the kissing booth. We're one third of the way down, folks. But, oh, hold on a second, guys. By the time we get to Saturday on the schedule, which is right now, you're listening to this, it's coming out on Thursday. In two days, we will have another live show. And, guys, we're returning for the third time to the world of Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. And it all fits into this being spooky season on It Was a Thing on TV, so... That's right. One of the subjects in this episode has a Halloween theme, so... It's very thematic, yep. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But in the meantime, you can just sit there and wait to see what we have in store for the next installment. Of It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Don't you mean, oh! Oh, that's so great. I love it. Coming up next Monday on It Was a Thing on TV. Hi, I'm Rosanna Arquette, Mets fan. And I'm Dana Carvey, Red Sox fan. After the game, I'll be hosting Saturday Night Live with Rick Ocasek. And we'll have to put aside our differences. 